Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You know, I suppose it's a, there's a um, certain uh, um, satisfaction one gets when, uh, you, as a teacher, when uh, you hear things that you were going to say being said. <laughs> so uh, maybe I'm not doing as bad a job as I think I am sometimes. But I do want to talk to you about uh, something really important. In fact, the most important thing. You know, um, we live in a world today where I, I don't think we know the meaning of the word love. Um, we ascribe to it all kinds of things. And even, uh, I think love sometimes means putting up with things. Sometimes it means uh, letting things go. And all of those may be elements of it all. But there is so much more to it. In the Gospel of John, Messiah Yeshua said to us, A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It worries me that we don't take that commandment very seriously in our lives and in the life that we give to the body of Messiah. We define love in so many odd and different ways that we think we're loving even when we may not be. And so today I thought we would explore this just a little bit based on the Torah portion that we just read and on another portion which is famously known as the love chapter found in 1 Corinthians 13 and do a little comparison of those things. And so I've named this thing the substance and the essence of love. So I'd like to start off with the substance of love, which Paul and the others who read from today's portion did a good job in summarizing for you. Because you see, love cannot simply be feelings. If, if love carries no, with it no action, then it doesn't mean much, does it? In, in, the, in the Gospel of James, he, uh, Gospel of James, <laughs> Wrong way. In the letter to the, of James, he says, uh, listen, if you tell, uh, if someone comes to you with a need and they say, and you go to them and you say, listen, brother, I will pray for you. And do nothing. Then you've done precisely nothing. That's a pretty hard word when you can't always do anything. I was challenged with that this very week. And, you know, pr prayer is meaningful. But prayer is not everything. If prayer is not backed with action, then the prayers can mean, may, may mean, very little. So we have to be careful about that. And so the first portion, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, in specific today, teaches us the substance of love, what it is that we need to be doing in order to be demonstrating love. 
And of course, it comes in all these categories. And we're going to go through this quickly because Paul and the others already really did this for you. And I'd rather focus on the other part anyway. But really, very quickly, we start with the love of God. Okay? So the substance of love starts with loving God. And we've already heard that if you can't love God, we'll never be able to love one another. It's not possible because God is the source of all of our love. So it must begin with loving God, and we do this by honoring him, by placing him first in, in our lives. And this is, a, this is a challenge for all of you, to put God first in everything that you do and all in the way you operate and the way you, your mind works. Because we fool ourselves into thinking that we do that. When in fact, too much of our lives are driven by self-interest and not by the interests of God. So I want to challenge you in that, think about it. Is this decision that I'm making based on my love of God and my understanding of who he is and what he does in my life? Or is this driven by self-interest? Something that's going to make it better for me, not for God and God's kingdom. Secondly, by honoring him, by doing those things he commands us to do. Listen, if you love me, you will do what I say. It's very simple. You know, when my children were little, you know, I, I would just I'd tell them what to do, and I expected them to do it. Why? Because I was their father. I didn't explain it to them. You know, I mean, how do you explain to a six-year-old, you know, why she can't do this or that or the other thing? I mean, half the time they don't know what you're talking about. But you do it anyway, and they do it because of the relationship that we have. If we can't do certain things, whether we understand them or not, maybe we don't love God the way we think we do. And the fact of the matter is, it's okay not to understand why God is telling us to do a thing, and it's also okay to try to figure it out. Use your mind. He gave it to you, so sit there. I mean, there's a reason why God makes us do things. Figure it out. And then, by treating as holy the things that God thinks are holy. Sometimes I think we don't, we we get so familiar with God that we think it's okay to treat him very casually and the things that he, he, he honors and loves and calls the sacred ordinary. In fact, the whole book of Leviticus is to teach us how to separate from the, ho- the holy from the profane, from the ordinary. And we need to learn how to do it and to honor it. And that means ordering our lives around the holy things of God, like his holy days and his holy ways. Secondly, The substance of love has to do with loving one another. First loving God, and then loving one another. And here is where we fail most miserably, in my opinion. And there's a lot to this. I'm just going to run them off. There's a big list, and I'm not going to to spend 15 minutes on each one of these things. But I want you to just look at some of these. Care for the poor. Right up on the top. I'd like to spend an hour talking about this because I don't think we understand that the poor will always be with us. And that means that we have to do something about it. Not the government, always, but we have to do something about it. See, we want, you know, I don't like too much government interference personally, but that doesn't mean I don't think our government ought to share in the burden. 
Secondly, speaking honorably and truthfully. Just honorable speech, truthful speech. And you know, we're getting a real dose of what it doesn't look like right now in our political campaign, aren't we? And we're in for six months more of it. And not, not only is it just distasteful, it drags down the human spirit. And we're better than that. So we need to demand of those who lead us to act like honorable people. You don't have to agree, but you have to act honorably and speak truthfully. Oh, for the days of Abe Lincoln. Yeah, he was an honest man, too. Okay. Be just in all of your dealings. Being just. In other words, doing the right thing. And you notice how it says it in the, in the Torah portion that, that Howard read for us. It said, you know, don't favor the poor or the rich, but deal justly with your brother. That means looking at the thing fairly and honestly and trying to make a reasonable decision, the right decision that God would have us make and everybody will be treated correctly. Don't slander. I mean, this should be evident in its face. The old saying goes, when you, when you slander a person, you kill three people. You kill yourself. You kill the person you slandered, and you kill the person who heard it. Do not commit murder with your mouth. Then it says, no hatred or murder. We can't kill one another. Of course not. That's part of the Ten Commandments. I don't think I need to go much further than that. But no hatred. You notice how Messiah Yeshua said, listen, if you're angry with your brother, settle it right then and there. Don't let your anger become resentment because your anger, your res will, that, ang that resentment will become contempt. And then when you have drew, drew somebody in contempt, you can do anything to them like murder them. So if you're an angry person or somebody who has a grudge against someone else, you need to deal with it right away. If you're going to love your brother, deal with it. There's no place for holding a grudge. And then it says, it tells us to treat our environment properly. God gave us this planet so that we might live on it peacefully. And we should honor it cherish it, do what we can to preserve it. And then it says, take care of the helpless in your society. There are people who are less fortunate than us. There are people whose circumstance has just not blessed. And when we find those people, we need to help them as best we can. This is a, this is a principle of love. Don't sit there and say, listen to that. Let's look at that bum. He can't, he can't seem to get his act together. That's not for us to judge. Our responsibility is to help somebody as best we can. And then it says to take care of our children. Now, you think that this would not be necessary. But in this world, there is more child abuse than you can possibly imagine. Human trafficking children, all kinds of horrible things that happen in this world. And we have to stand against that. Taking care of our children is, of course, a priority. 
and taking care of the elderly is just as necessary. You know, I think we live in a society where we're, we're youth-oriented. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. I don't know. That could, that's possible. But everybody looks younger than me. I don't know why. Uh, but we, I think we're in a, we live in a youth-oriented society in which we don't honor the older as much as we used to. I think there is something to the truth that we, uh, we've, just, we've set the elderly aside. You know, when you get to a certain age, you go into a nursing home, you be quiet, you slowly fade away if you're, if you're unfortunate. Maybe if, you're, if you're fortunate, maybe you just drop yourself off a cliff. But I think we need to honor those who have come before us, to honor those who have made the way for us, uh, to recognize where we have come from. And so it's important that we take care of the elderly. So all of these things, there's your list. Here's a list of things to do. Please note it if you're going to love your neighbor in a substantive sort of way. And finally, even loving the stranger. You know, sometimes it's easy to love people who you know. But how do you love those who you don't know so well? The stranger in our midst. I think, again, you know, this, it's funny how this, the, the, this political climate in which we live is, a, is just chuck full of examples of what not to do. You know, and, you know, how do you despise people generically? No one should know more about this than the Jewish people because we have suffered in every part of the world because people hated us just because of who we were. Not for any reason other than where we were born. Never got to know us, never got to hear our story. No, we despise you just because you exist. We can't do that. We can't allow it in our country. In fact, America wasn't built on those kinds of horrible things. So we have to love the stranger. The stranger among you is, is made in the image of God. All people. I know that sounds bizarre. In the, sometimes when I look at the images that are going on in this world, I wonder how in the world is that person made in the image of God. And yet it is so. And we are to respect it to the best of our ability to do so. And in that way, be able to respect others. And we treat the stranger as one, uh, one of our own and, no, and be no respecter of persons. The scripture teaches us, that, you know, Peter, when he was witnessing to, uh, to Cornelius, and he went back to his brother and he said, listen, I went to this guy Cornelius, he's a Gentile, I know, but you wouldn't believe it, the Holy Spirit was poured out on him, and I realize now that God is no respecter of persons, but the man in every nation who loves him, who honors him, he is pleased with. And so, if God feels that way, then why shouldn't we? And finally, we must always remember the oppressed. For we have been oppressed ourselves. And it would be a horrible shame for, for the oppressed to become the oppressor. So in all these ways, we need to love the stranger. So, that, so the substance of love, then, is to love God, to love one another, and to love the stranger. In all these very particular ways, by doing certain things, 
that demonstrate that love. And that's all well and good. Those are the rules. So all you have to do is follow the rules, right? And everything will be fine. And if all that mattered were knowing what the rules were, wouldn't it be, you know, be great, right? But here's the problem. We know what the rules are. But where is our heart? Where is our heart in all of this? You see, this is not this stuff. I'm going to tell you something. That list that I just gave to you is virtually impossible for most of us to, to accomplish. And I'm not saying that because I think you're a bad person, because I'm not any more able to accomplish it than you. But there's something else that must happen that goes on in one's soul in order for those things to be possible. And that's where 1 Corinthians 13 comes in. Because love is more than a set of rules. It's more than just knowing, oh, I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do that. It's about how our heart gets transformed. And so first, we w- I want to talk to you about the essential nature of love. It says in this portion, it says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. In other words, if my heart has not been transformed, if my character has not been transformed, then all, doing all of those things I just gave you on that list will mean virtually nothing. This world is filled with professional philanthropists. You know, and social justice is the, wor- is the watchword of the day. I hate that freaking word. I just hate it. As if it never happened until... Yes, sir. Howard, you're making a great point. And so we'll digress from this little discussion I'm having just for a moment. No, it's worthy. It's a worthy thing that you're saying. And so what's the problem there? The problem is is that you, you remember in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve did their thing, it tells us that they hid because they were afraid. They were not, you know, it said, in fact, it starts, at the end of the second chapter says they were naked and they were not ashamed. It was fine. They, they knew who they were. They felt perfectly comfortable in their own skin. Everything was fine. And just a few verses later, Adam says to Hashem, I hid because I was naked and I was afraid. We lost 
the ability of, of appropriate self-love at that moment. And since that day, we have not been able to repair the damage entirely. We just, we're struggling for self-worth, for identity, because we gave it away for whatever reason. And so how can we retrieve it is the answer. And I would, I would say to you that you can't achieve, you can't retrieve it for yourself. I can retrieve it for you. Just like I can't retrieve mine, I need you to retrieve it from me. So I'm going to make a confession this week. Donna called me this week. If you don't mind my saying so, Donna. It was, it made the whole week for me. All she did was call me to encourage me. It was, it was an, an it, that's an act of love. It, it achieves for me what I need. You understand? It says to me, I'm worth something. Because we're constantly battling against ourselves in our worthlessness. And so that's the real love. When we can turn around and encourage one another, even in the small thing. You see, I can give it to you. See, it's when we try to get it for ourselves, that's when our egos take over. Our egos take over, and we, it's all about selfishness, not, no longer selflessness. But when we give it to each other, then we have it for real. Then we have it for real. So it's a great question, and it goes right to the heart of the meaning of love. Right to the very heart of the meaning of it. Without, if we don't really feel it, if we don't ha- allow our heart to be transformed by love, by the desire to care for, for others, then nothing will matter, even if we do it. And the, second, and the second portion of this is that love is personal. Love is personal. Listen, there are words, you know, in the Greek language, there are different words for love. You know, um, what's, what's it? agape and eros are the two primary ones. And there are all these people who argue, oh, God is about agape love. No, God is about it all. It, read the, sto- read, the, read the, the Hebrew scriptures, and you will see the passion of God. Not just his you know, love in principle as if not, you know, love is this sort of flatland kind of emotion. No, no, no. There's passion. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I brought my son. Read through, the, through all of these things, even that portion of Amos. You know, I may destroy things, but I will recover you. That's God. God is a God of passion. And love is personal. And unless we get personal in our love, it won't mean much. It says in this portion, if I can, yeah. it says, love is patient and kind. And this is the famous portion of this, of this, of this thing, right? Patient. I'm going to read it from here. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. 
does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's personal. Unless we get personal with our love, we, our love is ineffectual. That's why we have to love each other here. For the very reasons that Howard points out. I can't, I, I just can't, I can't generate on my, listen, if you generate it on your own, you're an arrogant, puffed up maniac. Not saying who's running for president. So, love is personal. Make it personal. Because without that personal touch, you know, it's just going through the motions. And finally, love is eternal. So it says in this portion, it says, love never fails. True love never fails. Never. It will win every argument. You know, it was the love of God for his creation that sent his son to the cross. And by every measure of human measurement, a failure. Most people in the world think it's a failure. And yet it is the greatest victory ever won. Because death could not hold him. You see, love never fails. Even when that love leads to the cross, and maybe especially when it does. So let's not give up on love. Isn't that a song like that? That must be a song. <laughs> if it is not, I'm writing one later on. Love never fails. If there's prophecy, that will be done away with. Thank God. If there's tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away with. Enough already with all the talking. But what the world needs now is love. The greatest, that's a song. The greatest of these now abide these three things, faith, hope, and love. We won't need faith when all things are realized. Faith is, faith is the assurance of things not seen. One day all will be seen. Hope. We hope for things we do not yet have. Then we will have it all. But this abides forever. Love. So, brothers and sisters, let's love one another with the passion that God loves all of us. And if we do, if we do, we will change the world. Amen. Thank you.